0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio and The Beacon. Joining me in studio is Jason Rosenbaum and
1: Joe Manis.
0: And our special guest this week is Jason Kander, Missouri Secretary of State. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks a lot. To start us off here, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you did before you got into politics?
2: Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Kansas City. Um, I uh, you know, Immediately before getting into, into politics, I was an Army intelligence officer, uh, went to school out in D.C. and then was there on 9-11, decided to uh, join the Army at that time. So I enlisted in an infantry unit and then uh, went to law school and then after that went to military intelligence school and uh, became a military intelligence officer in the Army. Uh, and then you know, shortly after that, went to Afghanistan as, as an Army intelligence officer uh, and came home and... Uh, Continued. I was in the Missouri National Guard after that, and also uh, practiced law in Kansas City and, and ran for the state house in Kansas City. Got elected in 2008, uh, and then ran in uh, 2012 for Secretary of State. Uh, and somewhere along the line in that story, I married my high school sweetheart, and then a few months ago had a kid. And then I drove here today. So, so, now, <laughs> where did you go to law well school? Wraps it up. All right.
1: When did you go to law school
2: and all this? Uh, let's see. I started law school in. I went oh two to oh five. I went I went to law school. Where at? Uh, Georgetown. Okay.
3: He's a Hoya.
0: Uh, I'm a Hoya
2: lawyer. <laughs>
1: okay. See that's that's the key we need to know what type for this show.
0: Okay. What type of law did you practice? Uh,
2: I did mostly so I started out um, I was at uh, a real good firm called Spencer Fain in Kansas City. Um did uh, mostly, you know, uh, litigation, civil litigation, defense work. Um, and then I deployed and did uh did work as an intelligence officer, didn't work as a lawyer in the army. Um, and when I came back I, I kind of You know, I guess billing my hours and and working um, for clients I didn't really get to know or anything. It just, for me, it was just uh, not something that motivated me as much when I came home. And um, I decided to to leave and I became uh, a trial lawyer. I did uh, uh, mostly plaintiff's work. I represented um, folks who had been discriminated against at work or hurt at work. I did a lot of work um, for small business owners who had been uh, swindled in some way or another. And then um, I also worked... Uh, with the United Transportation Union uh, representing their folks when they got hurt. So um, it was really enjoyable. I got to try cases and and work directly with clients. And, and, you know, frankly, my background as an attorney, I find pretty helpful in this job.
3: So I kind of want to do a a flashback to, Mm -hmm. you know, 2012, you know, so long ago. (laughs) I actually thought, you know. It was warmer then. It was warmer (laughs) then. Now, Sometimes people kind of knock down ballot races because they're not as glitzy or sexy as a U.S. Senate race or a gubernatorial race. But I actually thought that the Secretary of State's race was very interesting. Was very sexy? You would say. I did what I could, you know. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting from a multitude of levels. Number one, sure. the office is important. Mm-hmm, like it's, I agree. It's, it's an office that, you know, has multiple functions involving business registration, elections, securities, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And then you had an interesting Republican primary with three very – you know, well-qualified, highly-funded candidates that ended up being close, and then the the, the general came along, which was you versus former Speaker Pro Tem Shane Scholler, and. It Former was,
2: speaker, actually, because he was speaker for a while. Yes,
3: and, you and, uh, you technically defeated the speaker of the house. Uh, for, yeah, I, I
2: more was just trying well, to give Shane he had,
1: credit. He had been speaker for what <laughs> a, month, a month, maybe or two?
2: a month. I just you know, I, yeah. But I try and always refer to folks by their highest office.
3: Absolutely, but it was also I think the closest statewide race in 2012. I um, felt like it to me. And it be- I think yeah. we were literally waiting for the last precincts to come in. And mm-hmm. um, what do you think got you over the top in that contest, and h- why do you think? You, you ended up prevailing in what was for all intents and purposes a
2: tough contest um that's a great question I think it, it's a couple of things um first and foremost it's probably what has gotten me uh, to where I've won each race that I've been in which is hard work I mean we uh I, I got into that race and a lot of folks obviously were skeptical uh that that I could win but I felt like you know I felt like it was important to run that race it was important to win and so I just worked really hard I mean we put ninety thousand miles on the car, getting all over the state um, at one point <laughs> on election night it was like it was like one a m and my campaign manager and I were standing there we were watching the returns come in. And at that point, we had finally, for the first time, pulled ahead in the return. So we were up by, I think, 2,800 votes. Yeah, I,
1: re- I remember that.
2: And I looked at him. His name's Abe. And, and, and I looked at him, and I, and I pointed at the screen and the 2,800 votes, and I said, Abe, that's county fairs. And we <laughs> laughed because that's at least how many how many hands I shook at county fairs around the state. So that was the first time. And we just, we just worked it really, really hard. Um, and the second is I just think Missourians responded to our message, which was real simple. It was just that you know, the secretary of state should be somebody who has the courage to, to put partisanship, put politics aside and do the job. Because as you said, it's a, it's a really important job. And I'm reminded every day in that job that if you don't take that approach, you're not going to do a very good job for Missourians. No. And, uh,
1: what, was there much of a cocktail effect from McCaskill and Nixon, who obviously had the higher profile? Uh, no i I
2: think probably so i mean look i 'm i 'm a i 'm an elected official but i 'm not a political scientist so i mean i I think there was in the sense that uh, I think our party had a, a very effective uh, get out the vote campaign um, and so it, i look I won by thirty nine thousand votes out of two point seven million cast I can point to like a lot of different things that if it weren't for that, right. you know, and so I would say that's one of them. Uh, our message is, is one of them or the way we worked is one of them. Um, but there's just, you know, when you win by that slim of a margin, there's a lot of stuff you can point to. And the other thing is it makes you very, very appreciative for everyone who supported you, uh, everyone who voted for you, because, you know, it counted. Every bit of
0: it counted. One of the big issues in that race is something that we're probably going to get to Mm -hmm. later, which was voter ID laws. But before we get into that issue, let's talk a little bit about one of the other topics that you've really attached yourself to, which is ethics reform. Um, It's something that's been brought up in the sense of brought up by outside observers Mm -hmm. a lot, but it hasn't been something that's really gotten the attention of leadership
1: um, Except it, for the governor. The governor has brought up yes, some of the same Yes, yes. Mm-hmm, I, sure. I mean
0: leadership in the General Assembly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how realistic do you think it is that there's going to be serious consideration for ethics reform this year?
2: Well, whenever anybody talks to me about whether or not the General Assembly is going to get this done, it kind of reminds me of, you know, if you ask, if you ask the General Assembly, are you going to get ethics reform done? That to me is kind of like walking up on a drowning man – And being like, do you think you'll get to the surface? Right. All he should be worried about is actually getting to the surface. We have the worst ethics and campaign finance laws in the entire country. So I honestly do not spend much time thinking about the likelihood of it passing and that sort of thing. Because it is so incredibly important that we get it done. I just spend all my time focused on trying to get it done and making the argument. And that's what I want the legislature to do, too you know for me this this issue you you mentioned I've worked on it for a while it goes back pretty far for me um you know I mentioned a minute ago my where, that I served in Afghanistan as an intelligence officer and you know, my job over there was anti-corruption investigations basically figure out which bad guys were pretending to be good guys i came home i ran for the state house i got elected found out plenty of anti-corruption work to do in jeff city too the system is just not as you know obviously it's very different uh and obviously there's a little bit of hyperbole in, in that statement but uh It is just not as different as it should be. And the only place in this state where the idea of campaign finance and ethics reform is controversial is in the Capitol. There's nowhere else. I I don't care if you talk to Republicans, Democrats, independents. You tell people that we have the worst ethics laws in the the country and everyone agrees, well, we should probably fix that.
1: Uh, Now, there's kind of two tracks on this. There's the – restrictions that some have proposed regarding lobbyists or regarding donations as far as when you can accept donations. And some of this was in the 2010 mm-hmm. ethics bill that did get through and then mm-hmm. got tossed out on procedural grounds by the state Supreme Court. Then you've got the separate thing about reinstatement of some sort of campaign donation limits. Mm-hmm. And so you've got some in the legislature who are trying to separate the <laughs> two, and then some who, including the governor, who say it's intertwined. Mm-hmm. Where do you come down on that and how will you try to advance at least part of your agenda when you've got some people in both parties Mm -hmm, who are strongly opposed to campaign donation limits and we'll get into names in a little bit.
2: Sure. Well, (laughs) look, um, I I want comprehensive ethics reform. Um, You know, you mentioned the 2010 legislation. Uh, As you know, I worked with then Representative Tim Fluke, a Republican, and, uh, and we wrote that legislation together. Um, and I'm I'm still – even though on procedural grounds, like you mentioned, the Supreme Court threw it out, I, I'm still very gratified by that in the sense that I really believe that, that our work there uh, really got the conversation moving. I mean you've seen this session. You've got uh, members of both parties in the Senate who have filed bills uh, on this. It's something – I mean we're sitting here talking about it. Uh, so I really feel like we are moving this issue forward I, I, and I'm proud of my role in that. Um, as for, for how to advance it. You know, when I first got to the state house um, and I took office in 2009 and uh, my district, those folks like it it was probably not one of the top issues because it had not been written about much or anything like that. And people talked about the issues you would expect to hear about when I went door to door. Um, But I got into office and I thought it was important and I talked about it all the time. And by the end of my time in the state house, when I would hold a town hall meeting or when someone would stop me in the grocery store to ask me about What was going on in jeff city first thing people would want to talk about is ethics reform and that's the approach i'm trying to take now is my district now is the size of the state of missouri it's bigger it's the whole state and uh there's a reason that everywhere i go i talk about this because i recognize um that there's no interest group in jefferson city called big ethics no legislator is going to uh, pass ethics reform because they're gonna have donations rain down from the sky from big ethics right So they have to be motivated by their constituents, just like they were in 2010. Um, And so I'm getting around the state, and I'm trying to do everything I can to make sure that when legislators go to the grocery store or have a town hall meeting, their constituents talk to them about this issue. So that's my approach.
0: We should probably clarify that when we talk about ethics reform, we're talking about pretty much two key things. One is campaign contributions, which Missouri has no limits on, and the other is – uh, gifts from lobbyists, which mm-hmm. Missouri also has no limits on. The only on. state in the country with that combination. Well, but exactly. there's also
1: the other provisions of when people collect sure. contributions. I mean, because in the 2010 law, for a while there was a, it, mm-hmm. it, it included, if I recall right, didn't didn't mm-hmm. include a ban on it, during the session? During the, I think that was it,
3: 2006.
1: Okay. Well, Maybe that was Well, there was two different bills. The
2: one yeah. in 2010 made it so that you had to report it within 48 hours.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I knew there were some restrictions. Go ahead.
2: And a there's a lot more, you know, I think we need comprehensive reform. So the fundamentals to me, what you start with, um, and, you know, this is the first place I've talked about it publicly, but next week we're going to unveil our ethics proposal. It'll be filed on our behalf by Representative Kevin McManus. Um, I believe, I know that uh, this proposal is the most comprehensive uh, that certainly uh, I've seen during my time in public service in Missouri, and I think it's really significant. It will, if If the legislature passes it, it will take Missouri from having the worst ethics laws in the country to having the best. It will make us go from being laughed at in terms of our ethics and campaign laws to hopefully being emulated by states around the country. So you got to start with some of the fundamentals. And there's, there's stuff in there that comes from Senator Roop's bill, Senator Lamping's bill, mm-hmm. Senator Nasheed's bill. Uh, there's stuff in there that comes from ideas that I've proposed in the past, and there's some new ideas in there that I think are good. But to me, the fundamentals that you have to start with are you've got to have campaign contribution limits, and they've got to be effective. It doesn't make any sense to do them if they're not effective. You've got to have a ban on political money laundering, You know this thing where people shuffle money around until you have no idea where it came from. And they use that to get around campaign contribution limits. Let's be honest. That's that's what they did in the past. We've got to make sure the law doesn't allow for that. Um, we've got to close the revolving door that makes it where you can be a legislator on Thursday and a lobbyist on Friday. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. And we should get rid of it. We should get rid of all lobbyist gifts uh, to legislators. There's no reason in the world why those need to be there. We don't need them. We should get rid of them. Um, we need, I think, and this is something that was first proposed in my bill in 2010, and and now I... I think is one of the best arguments for how weak the system is that we have. We need a law that says you can't obstruct a Missouri ethics investigation. You know, I, I like to use the example of, uh, you know, former Senator Jeff Smith. Um, former Senator Jeff Smith, uh, you know, everybody, a lot of people know the backstory. Yes, yeah, from St. Louis. And went to jail for uh, obstructing a Federal Election Commission investigation. Um, now, I think that that's a good law, saying you, you shouldn't obstruct a Federal Election Commission investigation. But I think it's startling when you consider the fact that if all of the same conduct had taken place in a state Senate race, there would have been no violation of the law. Right. That to me is very significant and speaks to just how, uh, how weak the laws are. And, and so to me, those are the fundamentals that you start with.
3: Now, I would say that your position is probably generally, uh, especially on campaign finance, that's the mm-hmm. norm among many Democratic politicians. Including and some, the governor. And, and some Republicans as well. But it's not the position of your the presumptive Democratic nominee for governor, Chris Koster. He's been on record for years opposing campaign finance limits. He voted to get rid of them in 2008 when he was a state senator and a Democrat. I'm just curious if there's been any friction or tension between you two because you seem to hold very different positions on that issue. Uh,
2: well, you know, Chris and I have a, a really good working relationship, um, and, and we're friends. And, uh, you know, the first thing I'd tell you here is that this is not – a Democratic, a Democratic issue. It's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democratic problem or a Republican problem. It is a Missouri problem. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're right that it's more Democrats have one position than than Republicans. I, To me, I just view this as a Missouri problem, and that's how I approach it.
3: Do you feel, though, that his position on that kind of undercuts you?
2: Well, you know, I, I would let Chris speak for himself uh, as for his position, because I, I don't feel comfortable characterizing it. I don't know that I would whether I'd characterize it accurately. But the answer is no, because uh, look, I'm sure as things go forward and in the past, myself and the attorney general, myself and the governor, myself and any number of politicians, whether they're in the same party as me or not, are going to not agree on everything. That's, but that's, it's part of you do your job and you move forward and that's what we do. We have a great working relationship. And um, again, what I would emphasize is this issue, this is a Missouri problem. This is not a, it's not a Democratic problem or a Republican problem. And we just have to come together as Missourians and, and fix it. And I, I don't know that I agree that Republicans are more likely to oppose it, because uh, when you talk to Republicans who aren't elected to anything, they overwhelmingly agree, because Missourians all agree on this issue. Again, the only place this is controversial uh, is in the Capitol among people who are elected well, to something. let
3: type. me ask you a more practical question. Um, you know, we have a federal system right now that has limited donations to candidates. Mm-hmm. But to me... From observing it very closely, that system seems to have been undermined by super PACs, Mm -hmm. which can get unlimited amounts of money and do pretty much the same thing that candidate committees has done. I'm just wondering, again, curious, Mm -hmm. if you think a similar scenario would replicate itself in Missouri if there were campaign finance
2: limits in place. Uh, I think we have to work really hard to to make sure that's not the case. I mean, one of the things working on ethics reform and campaign reform is you have to – it's hard if you're just reactive. You've got to stay a step ahead of the system because look, things are going to people are going to adapt. That's always the case. And so you have got to try and anticipate uh how the system is going to adapt, how politicians and and other interest groups are going to adapt and and I think, you know, that's what you'll see in our in our proposal next week. Um but you know, that's why I think it's so important that you have provisions in place that make sure that you don't make it okay to just go around the limits, whether that's contributions or anything else.
1: Well, how do you advance the bill? Um, Your predecessors, Robin Carnahan, and then previously Matt Blunt, before he was governor, I mean, they had some different proposals, but they had various, uh, in some cases, pretty extensive agendas of what they wanted to get through, and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So on this case, even if you have a fairly high profile rollout next week how are you going to get i mean have you been talking to the to the leaders i mean are there things you're going to be doing to try to keep it in front of the legislature what you're going to do to get it to actually see some action on it
2: well you know in 2010 uh, when i said when representative fluke and myself said we were going to uh, propose campaign finance and ethics reform. Everybody told us we were crazy. I mean, everybody said, look, it's an election year. You'll never get anything Yeah, done. but
1: Steve Talley, the speaker at the time, endorsed the general idea of what you were doing.
2: Uh, yeah, I think kind of, yeah. I mean, well, he, st- actually, Steve wasn't speaker at the time. Ron Richard was. Right, right, right. And, but, but then and, Steve took over. And Ron set up a, a committee, um, and then promptly when the committee came up with a really good proposal um, – well, anyway, we know we know what happened, but we don't the, have to recap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't got to do a history lesson or anything. But, but but
1: my point being that you had House leaders who supported the general um, topic, and it's I not would clear. say we had
2: House leaders who relented. Uh, in okay. The end. Okay. And um, look, the Missouri state legislature, like any legislative body, is not one to be in a hurry to police itself, and sometimes a legislative body is a place that is going to. Uh, exhaust every option before choosing to do the right thing. And that is why I'm just gonna be doggedly determined and talk about this everywhere I go, just as I have, because the more Missourians know what's going on, uh, the more likely it is they're gonna force their elected leaders to do something. And, And I just really fundamentally believe that this is not an issue among other issues. This is an issue that when you get the system right, you get a better policy output on the other end. You just get better policy in every arena uh, when you have a system that uh,
0: that works. And as we alluded to earlier, one of the key issues in, in your 2012 race was voter ID mm-hmm. laws. What changes do you think are going to come out of the General Assembly? And, and what are some changes that you would find palatable, that you would find acceptable?
2: Well, let's start with how I see my role and what, what how I view the issue. First, um, it's my job to make sure that only Uh, Only eligible voters vote, but also to make sure that every eligible voter has the opportunity to vote. So I am not going to support anything that disenfranchises a single eligible Missourian. And what I would point out on this issue is we sometimes use the shorthand of photo ID legislation. But what's been proposed in Missouri is not really photo ID legislation. It's one very specific, very narrow, very limited form of photo identification. Yeah,
1: correct. Most photo IDs would not be allowed.
2: Right. So I always remind people that it's not photo ID legislation. It's one very small, limited, narrow, one-of-a-kind, unique form of photo identification legislation. Um, And if it were to become law, it would make it one of the most extreme laws of its type in the country. And in addition to that – we now have, a couple of months ago, uh, Judge Posner, who is uh, the, you might argue, one of the architects of conservative judicial philosophy, who wrote uh, one of the very first opinions saying at that time that this sort of legislation was okay, uh, with, you know, arguing at the time that it would pass constitutional muster. He wrote a book a couple of months ago in which he said that's the biggest mistake he ever made. Um, so I feel that people are starting to see that, Legislation like what has been proposed in Missouri is far too extreme, and my standard is uh, if it's going to disenfranchise a single eligible Missourian, I'm I'm not okay with it.
1: Well, in Texas, for example, I mean this is something I think women are paying attention to of either party because um, under the law in Texas, you know, if you got married, and right. and okay, and even if your driver's license shows that, well, maybe when you originally uh, uh, signed to vote, registered to vote. You weren't married, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Well, you have a different last name." I mean, it's it's become a really big issue in Texas because mm-hmm. there's a lot of women who are finding themselves turned away at the polls before. Uh, is this? I'm wondering how that would be addressed at all, and in this dispute. I mean, because I think I've heard from women of both parties who've been paying close mm-hmm. attention to some of this.
2: Look. Well, okay you know i think what we're seeing is that people are are looking at this and saying okay it's not reasonable what's been proposed in missouri right it's that's why it would be one of the most extreme i mean look you you mentioned what happened in texas I mean, I think when people hear about the idea of of legislation like this, they assume because it is a reasonable thing to assume. It's not accurate of Missouri legislation, but it's a reasonable thing to assume. They they assume things like an expired Missouri driver's license would be okay. They assume that a student ID would be okay. They assume that uh, a veteran identification or an active duty identification that doesn't have an expiration date on it as mine didn't. Uh, They assume that those would be acceptable.
1: Or even a congressional ID. There have been some because those don't have an expiration date. They assume
2: that a photo identification issued by state government or federal government uh, or by a a, a political subdivision of it would be okay because that's a reasonable assumption. But that's not what the legislation calls for.
3: Now, let's just play – I'm going to just take the role of somebody who supports voter ID. Not that I do or not – I don't (laughs) have an opinion. I just want to play devil's advocate. They're going to say, well, you have to use photo ID for all these other things like – going to a bank, renting a video, going on an airplane, mm-hmm. stuff like that, and that putting a voter, putting forth a government-issued photo ID, because that's what you were talking mm-hmm. about before, is not that big of a hindrance to voting. How would you respond to that?
2: Just that my policy is that uh, if it's going to disenfranchise a single eligible voter, I'm not going to support it. And, you know, look, um, I and a lot of my friends went and – fought for you know went and served Uh, and I can tell you that one of the things that you're thinking about when you take the oath is not your ability to go to a movie Uh, you know it's a fundamental right it's a constitutional right and but more than anything We're just talking about proposals here in Missouri that are very extreme. I mean, you know, one of the things I've talked about in the past is places like Idaho, where in Idaho, if you don't have they have a photo ID law, but if you don't have your photo ID, you sign an affidavit saying, I am who I claim to be, and then you can vote a regular ballot, not a provisional ballot. Um, But that's not what's been proposed in Missouri. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're focused on uh, making sure that, that elections are run well on on upholding the integrity of the election process. That's why recently uh, you saw we launched the Election Integrity I was unit. just going
3: to ask you about that because sure. I personally uh, used it, and it seemed to work mm-hmm. pretty well. And Joe wrote a story about it. Um, well, that, was, was,
2: that was the online registration form. Yeah, the
1: online mm-hmm. – yeah. How, how many people have – because uh, I th- – I checked yeah. this
2: morning, and actually – so it's been about three weeks, and we've had over 550 Missourians take advantage of it, um, which I think is <laughs> is – Pretty impressive considering that, as you might guess, December and January are not exactly the hot times for people to, to change their registration or to register to vote. It's pretty far from an election. Um, so we're we're really proud of, of the online registration form.
1: Well, I noticed that also this week you were talking about – I mean your office was talking about efforts to help veterans mm-hmm. as far as uh, either –
2: Sure. Um, You want to talk about that? uh, Senator Wayne Wallingford uh, has filed um, on our behalf a a piece of legislation that makes it where – so right now, if you're a deployed service member who uh, wants to run for office in Missouri, say a reservist or a guardsman, um, you can file for for office by certified mail, but you don't have the opportunity – to uh, potentially be first on the ballot. Because uh, as you know, in a lot right. of places, like like in our office when we take candidate filing, if everybody who files on the first day, they fill out or they can draw they're, a number. They're in the lottery, right? Right, they draw a number for who's first in the ballot. And, and uh, it's something that is frequently pretty important to folks who run for office. Well, uh, the way it works now is folks who are deployed are treated okay. as if they filed on the last day, and so what this would do is allow them to have a proxy go in their place and uh, and draw a number, so they'd have mm-hmm. a chance to be first on the ballot.
3: Yeah. So. Yeah. Because I think that's happened before, where somebody is deployed mm-hmm. while while they there's, are are filing, for example.
2: Actually, um, right now uh, there's a gentleman named Paul Boyd. He's a lieutenant colonel uh, in the Missouri uh, National Guard, and he is in Afghanistan right now. He's also the elected Scott County prosecutor, mm-hmm. and uh, is up for reelection and and it is due to, to file for re-election soon. And that's why we want to get it one of the very first bills passed. or It'll have an emergency clause in it um, because we'd like to make sure that Lieutenant Colonel Boyd can take advantage of it.
1: Have you got any pushback on the online uh, registration?
3: Yeah, I think there were some snarky comments on Twitter about it from right, right-leaning right Twitterers,
0: but otherwise it Do I snarky tweets count as pushback? <laughs>
3: I, I don't know how many. The
0: well, some well there were
1: some Republican yeah. operatives, so I know. In fact, one of them put something up like the day my story was up about it, saying this could be a game-changer, and I don't know if he meant it as a good thing or a bad You're thing. You're
3: talking about Greg Keller, who has incredible hair, and I think he was being sarcastic, by the way. But but, well, but here's to his hair. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if...
2: I mean, it got a shout-out on here. That's pretty good. Yeah. I,
3: but I I guess just to to... to push Joe's question to the forefront. Has there been any pushback or negative criticism of it? Or any Uh, effort
1: to try to block it, like filing a bill that says you can't do it?
2: Well, no. I mean, the short answer is no. Uh, You know, I think overwhelmingly the response to it has basically been, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Because folks look at it as, you know, first of all, there's 15 states who have already done something like this. Second, uh, I think People have come to expect a certain level of convenience, uh, whether they're dealing with state government or their local retailer or anything else. Um, and so I think most people look at it and they say, OK, well, that makes sense. And that seems to include uh, people of, of both parties. And so, no, I've, I've been really, really pleased so far with the response. And as far as um, you know, legislation – we based it on a law that uh, was passed by the legislature 10 years ago saying that uh, an electronic signature, any any anything that is accepted by state government and requires a signature must also accept an electronic signature. So,
1: Now, one of the other things that your office has become known for the last year or so is making some changes in the initiative petition process. Mm-hmm. Um, as our listeners probably know, Missouri has a fairly liberal initiative petition laws and so that groups can get approval to put out, uh, circulate petitions to get people to put something on the ballot, particularly an issue. Um, What sort of changes have you made? And just to give a quick rundown, and what do you think is going to be happening this year just in general? Because it looks like there's Mm -hmm. a huge number of initiative petitions Mm -hmm. that are out there right now.
2: Um, Well, let me sort of work backwards on the question. So um, I don't think there's any doubt that this trend – of sort of the proliferation of the use of the um, initiative petition process uh, i don 't think that 's going away at all. I think that um, I think that in the future, as this continues to grow and, and be a uh, avenue for policy change or policy making that people increasingly are choosing for whatever reason, um, and you know people have different theories on why. I think that as that continues, in the future, the responsibility of the Secretary of State's office to produce uh, fair and clear language is is going to be as important uh, to the future of the state, really, as uh, the governor's responsibility to sign a veto legislation, because I think it's just got so much to do with where the state's future uh, ends up going, the choices that are made. So uh, I think that. I think we're going to continue to see that. Um, as for the changes we've made, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really proud of what we've done there. You know, during the campaign, uh, as I went around the state and talked to folks uh, about all, serge- all sorts of parts of the office, I really got a sense that people felt like uh, the initiative petition process was sort of done behind closed doors. They felt like it was uh, sort of secretive, right, because, as you know, when an initiative petition was filed, Uh, Prior to when I took office, in order to actually see the initiative petition prior to the ballot language being uh, produced by the office, um, you had to file a Sunshine request and and that sort of thing. Um, And the average Missourian really never got a chance to see it before before they – uh, saw the ballot language. So what we did is, uh, now what happens is, is is it goes up online almost immediately as soon as we get it in so people can see it. Um, and then the other piece that, that uh, we're really proud of is the public comment period yeah, that that's we what created. Uh, and then we've recently expanded the public comment period. How and,
1: long is the public comment period now?
2: Um, I think we've put it up to 15 days now. Um, we started it, it was 5, but but is, I'd have to go double check the Is that but, intended
1: to kind of just because there often had been lawsuits about uh the the ballot language was this a, an an attempt to try to hash out some of those disputes ahead of time by having
2: you know a really heard? for me it was really about making sure uh the public uh, had a role to play because what i heard people asking for was was that that they were saying that they want to make sure that they're they can have their voice heard during that during that part of the process and for our office you know the intent is for it to be useful uh, as our office drafts the language because look we get as you know, we get initiative petitions on just about every issue there is, and so if there are little particular things, nuances that people want to point out um, because obviously the proposals are are pretty uh, detailed, um, then we want to hear people 's input on that sort of thing so it 's uh, as my team collaborates and works on that um, when there are public comments they they get to see those during the process.
1: Are you expecting a high number of initiative petitions to end up being successful? And that having that issue on the ballot this fall, uh,
2: I honestly i I don't comment on that one because I don't have any official role in whether or not you know our office does the signature verification correct, and correct. that sort of thing. But also because I, I just don't know. Um, you don't have a magic ball yet. Yeah, you know I treat every one of them uh, or a as unique. Ball, sorry. Uh, you know mm-hmm. we we or a magic ball. It, it would be magic either way. It so. would be very magical. Um, <laughs> um, but so our office, as we work on it, every one of them is taken individually. You start from scratch, and we never. You know, there's never really any conversation about whether it's likely or unlikely. I mean, oh, you sure. No, I just same. meant
1: kind of as a group, just based on the number that are out there, without getting into I really, specifics.
2: Uh, I really haven't thought about it that way, to be honest. Okay. Um Just because you kind of, with each one, you you start fresh, and then that one's over, and then when another one comes up, the office starts on that. So, um, so I, I don't know.
3: One final we'll question see. before we 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 head out. Which has been more popular, in your opinion? Your, your Missouri channel, which <laughs> makes lazy journalists uh, more successful by archiving audio, are the, the online voting so far. That's uh, a as great it,
2: question. I, I tell you what, Jason. If you ever want to pose a question to me that is, which of your two things that you've done is the most popular? <laughs> Any time I will come back because that's that's the best question I've had in a long time. Let me think. I didn't mean – I'm sorry. No, just, no. let me say – I'm being a little facetious. I know yeah, you are. Continuing. I know you are, and so I just ran with it. Um, so, no uh, – so far, obviously, I think online registration has been very um, popular from the public as a whole. Um, but I would say, like you mentioned journalists, uh, it's been very popular, uh, the Missouri Channel with journalists, but also also with the public somewhat. But, you know, I'll tell you a quick story that I think is really interesting about the Missouri Channel um, – that was not something that you want to I. Explain that the oh, Missouri Channel just so people know. Yeah, no, thank you, Joe. The, the Missouri Channel is. Uh, it used to be the case that if you wanted to listen to a legislative debate, the audio feed of the House or the Senate, you pretty much had to be at your computer as it happened, because right. they, it was not archived anywhere. Um, one of our responsibilities is the state archives, um, and so we created the dot com, where people can go and they can listen uh, to the audio from session. They can dial it up by the day. Is
1: it just the session? Do you do any committee?
2: It's uh, just the session. Right now, we just do, um, we just do the floor of the House and the Senate. But uh, we we want to eventually do more. Um, And so, uh, getting to your story, yeah, uh, thank you. Um, There was a a state representative who told me uh, over the summer that he had gotten a call from uh, a member of the opposite party, and uh, out of out of nowhere, over during the interim, they weren't in session. And he said, I just wanted to call and apologize to you uh, about the way that I conducted myself during the debate over – I don't remember what the bill was. And this was – as you all know, this is not something that happens every day. And so (laughs) uh, this this representative said, well, I I really appreciate that. Um, What caused you to call about that now? And he said, well, I was listening to the Missouri Channel. And, uh, and this was like two months earlier that it happened, okay. right? And he said, I was listening to the Missouri Channel the other day, and I really just kind of – I think that I was out of line with you, and I wanted to call and apologize. So I would love to say that one of the reasons we did it was to raise decorum in the House and the Senate, but that would not – I would be taking credit for something that wasn't an initial uh, intention. But I do think that it's a great thing that actually did happen, so –
0: well, that's just wonderful. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you, Jason. And on that happy note, we'll close this out here. Um, as a shameless plug, I should point out that we have lobbyingmissouri.org, which is a, a handy way to keep track of all of the gifts that your lawmaker is receiving from lobbyists. You can also read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. And you can follow me on Twitter at at CSMcDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at – Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at, at
1: – J Jay Manis. That's J M N. J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S.
0: And Spelling of your name is sometimes hard. <laughs> That's and, why I do it. And the Secretary of State can be followed on Twitter at? At Jason Kander.
1: Now, what about the uh, iTunes you want to mention? Oh, that?
0: thank you very much, Joe. We very special point- announcement. Yes. Uh, after much too long, we are actually on iTunes official. So you can go um, do a search on iTunes for Politically Speaking, and you can subscribe to the podcast that way. And if you follow any of us, I'm sure we'll be tweeting it out throughout the next few days. So we'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So So long. long.